Welcome back to Takes by the Lake from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice, your host, and we're hitting the Browns hard this week. Hitting them hard. We've been dabbling with the Indians. Had a good Indians pod last week. Have talked, you know, about other teams in Cleveland, but football season is almost here. So this is going to be uh, a lot of Browns most weeks here. Bringing this to you every Tuesday here on Takes by the Lake. Get subscribed. Uh, our numbers are down about half of what they were uh, in the winter when we kind of stopped in February and took a break. And we want to get those numbers back up. So drop an iTunes review for Takes by the Lake. But mostly get subscribed and tell your friends. Because we want to have interesting, different Browns conversation here throughout the course of the season. Uh, and we're going to do that this week. First guest is going to be Evan Silva who has been on this podcast before. He and I will just talk about the Browns, uh, what we think is going to happen this season. He's really good. Um, but the reason uh, I, I wanted to get back to the Browns is because other people are invading our territory. And that's great. Everybody wants to write and talk about the Browns. But we want to make sure that we own this corner at Cleveland.com and Takes by the Lake. And this week, excuse or last week, The Ringer, the website run by Bill Simmons, had a huge Browns week. They wrote, I think, 11 stories about the Browns and why... The Browns are like the it team in the NFL, and uh, one of the people who wrote a story, Rob Harvilla, who lives uh, in Columbus, wrote a story called A Browns Fan Comes to Grips with the Browns Being Cool. So Rob is the second guest on this podcast. We've already recorded that interview. It went really well. Uh, Rob's a guy who writes a lot of, about a lot of other things besides sports for the ringer. But when there's like an Ohio sports story, they bring him in. And so um, he and I sort of talked about why the ringer went so in on this and, and what it's like to be a Browns fan. I think you guys will relate to him a lot. Um, but the thing that, that, that I took away, and again, you guys can go, I would encourage you to go ring the, uh, read this ringer series. Welcome to Trust the Browns Process Week is what they called it. And and uh, Kevin Clark, their NFL guy, who I met for the first time at Browns camp earlier this year, good guy. Robert Mays, really good writers in there. Michael Weinreb, really good writers in there. Um, there was a headline that, that particularly caught my attention in this series, which is why I wanted to really talk about it. And it was a Kevin Clark headline that said, the Browns brought the process to the NFL. Surprisingly, it worked. And I joked on Twitter that I, I tweaked that headline to make it correct because it's not surprisingly, it worked. And there is uh, somewhat of a tone to this series. There's a Paul DePodesta story. You know, there's the story about how they tore it down and brought it back. Um, there's a there's a, a debate, the great tanking debate, debate Sashi Brown or Sam Hinkie. Um, there's a story about, you know, the drafting of Baker Mayfield and how that turned it all around. And, and the thing that, that I took away from it, and I, I and there's a poll I put out on Twitter, and I don't know where you guys are, but I know there are some people in Cleveland who are with me on this. And, and I will say this. I am 0% surprised that this is happening. And, and I think maybe if you guys have listened or read um, anything I've, I've said or, or, or done or written about the Browns, in the past couple of years, maybe you would get that because I, I thought you could tell this was coming. Now, like not guaranteed that w- that it was coming, but but there's no such thing as a guarantee um, in sports. But certainly a reasonable expectation that this was coming and that all of this was planned. And again, I feel like every time I have to couch everything I say because. Um, you know, some of you don't want to hear a Sashi Brown podcast, and it's not a Sashi Brown podcast, but this has been a plan from the get-go. And so 
Like when people are jumping in and, and, and you know, like, the, again, the Ringer series is great. But like any idea of like, man, how did this happen? It's like, well, I get that maybe somewhere else when you're paying attention to all 32 NFL teams, you didn't see this coming. People in Cleveland who were paying attention should have seen this coming. When they tore this down, you could see this coming. When they stockpiled draft picks, you could see this coming. When they let go of veterans and saved money on the salary cap, you could see this coming. You knew they were going to draft a quarterback eventually. So even when they passed on Carson Wentz and passed on Deshaun Watson, you could see this coming. Because as I said all along, you weren't going to do this and forget to get a quarterback. So you could see this coming. They were never going to trade for Jimmy Garoppolo and that salary when when the whole point of this is to get a young quarterback on a cheap contract and win with him early. So when they decided, here we go, and we're going to pick that quarterback, you could see this coming. When they traded, when they reached this offseason and had all this cap space, I didn't know that they would trade for Odell Beckham per se, but at the Combine, when anybody doubted, when we talked to John Dorsey at the Combine, you could see this coming. He was going to go for it. He, he didn't say it outright, but you just had to analyze what was in place, the chips that he had to play, and you could see this coming. When you saw Miles Garrett develop, when you saw Denzel Ward develop, when they make the move for Jarvis Landry and, and Demarius Randall, and I, I outlined all those things this summer and the 25 moves that changed the Brown. But you absolutely, because it was not overnight. It was not instantaneous. It was not one move. It was absolutely a process and a plan. And you could see it coming. And so I hope that people in Cleveland, and I, and I like the idea that the ringer, as a national outlet, is bringing these stories to the rest of the NFL. Because if you're a Packers fan or a Jets fan or a Seahawks fan or a Texans fan or a Jaguars fan, you don't know what the Browns are building. But I hope, and again, go read it. Go read the series at The Ringer. But I hope you read it. And at some point in that series, you say to yourself, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, right. You're right. But I knew this two years ago. I wrote in 2016 that the Browns needed a tank. Yeah, we know. It's here. So the the thing that the, the, the only thing that I didn't like in that series was the idea of a surprise. Because if you're surprised, you weren't paying attention. And that's okay. Like if nationally, nationally, they probably weren't paying attention because nobody was paying attention to the Browns when they were 1-31 other than to laugh at them. But in Cleveland, I hope you say to yourself, yep, knew it. I asked this poll question. There's still a couple minutes left to vote, so maybe it'll change slightly, but not really. My Twitter question was, when did you know the Browns were going to turn this around and be good? The leading answer right now at 44% is, I still don't know it. And again, we've talked about that. I get it. I get the people who don't want to jump the gun and, and are going to demand to see it before they believe it. I get it. I would encourage you to not be that way. Let it go. Cut the strings. Release the past. Enjoy the moment. Be optimistic because there's a lot of 
foundational smart things that all of that is built on. It's not hope. Hope is hope is a word I, I've used the word hope. We all use the word hope, but hope is is somewhat wishful. There's nothing wishful about this. This is process. This is plan. This is execution. This is multifaceted. This is led by a quarterback quarterback, but not based entirely on a quarterback. This is both sides of the ball. This is everything. 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 That's what you should be taking into this season. 44% still don't know it. 28% say when Baker Mayfield was drafted. That's when they knew. And a lot of people have written in and said, well, it wasn't when Baker was drafted. It's when he came into the Jets game. And he showed it on the field for the first time. And I said, okay, that's the same thing. It's Baker Mayfield based. And that's the series. That's another series I would encourage you to guys you guys to go read how Baker changed everything, which we at cleveland.com did at the start of camp in all, in uh, July. 28% is Baker Mayfield based. 23% say when John Dorsey was hired. That's when you knew it was going to get turned around because you had a belief in a guy who had done it before, who came out of the Packers system, who had built something in Kansas City, who had a reputation. And by the time John Dorsey was hired, you understood what he had to work with. Because a lot, the beginning of the process had already taken shape. And so now if you believed, okay, there's been the pain that's created opportunity. And now I believe in the guy who's going to turn that opportunity into players, right? I think that would have made sense. And then the last option was you knew they were going to turn it around and be good when they tore it down. When Sashi Brown and Paul D. Podesta and Jimmy Haslam gave him permission, said, tear it down. Burn it down. That's when you knew. 5%. So I'm in that group. So if you're in the 5%, you're with me. And and it's but I think a lot of you came came around along the way. So I hope you're there now. You have every possible reason to be there now, but please, please again, whatever you do, and as you discuss this brown season, I think the only time you should use the word surprise is if it goes south. I'm surprised they're not good. I'm surprised they're not leading the division. That's the surprise. There is not a single surprise in any of the hope and expectation that everyone's talking about right now. It was methodical. It was different, but it was planned out. And then it was executed very well at multiple steps along the way. And I hope if you were reading me and listening to me, and I'm certainly not the only one there. There are obviously there are people in Cleveland who didn't believe it. The people in the media, if they were fans, who didn't believe it, thought it was silly, uh, thought it was never get, getting, they're never going to get anywhere. Um, and and whether it took John Dorsey to put it over the top or not, that's who's here, and that's who's doing it, right? And now we're going to talk long term, and and again, can they sustain it? Um, so I think the Browns could be good for the next ten years for sure. But at the very least, they're going to be good for like the next two or three, at the very least. And it's here, and it's not a surprise. So I, I love that people are paying attention nationally, but when anyone acts like, where did this come from? I hope you can say, as a Browns fan who's been in it for the long haul, I hope you can say, I know exactly where it came from. And it's no surprise at all. Douglay Maurice, follow me on Twitter at Douglay Maurice. Read me at cleveland.com. If you don't subscribe to our uh, project text, 
plan at cleveland.com. I would highly encourage it. Uh, you can do it for Ohio State, for the Cavs, for the Indians, for the Browns. I do the Ohio State one. That's at projecttext.com slash Buckeye Talk. So that's a really good one. Um, and then you can, of course, get it for the Browns uh, from Mary Kay Cabot, right? So so Project Text, we promote it all over the place at cleveland.com. <coughs> Excuse me. Promote it all over the place. You can find it. It's three ninety nine a month. You get a couple texts a day about the teams you love. So if you're really geared up for Brown season, if you like listening to the Browns on this podcast, subscribe to Mary Kay. She's going to give you insight that, that you're not getting anywhere else. If you like when we talk about the Indians, subscribe to Paul Hoynes. He's going to give you insight you're not getting anywhere else. And if you listen to my other podcast, Buckeye Talk, uh, with Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, uh, go ahead and subscribe for the Buckeye information that I can give you that you're not going to get anywhere else. So that's our project text. This is Takes by the Lake. Again, a good one ahead. Rob Harvilla from The Ringer. But first, our friend Evan Silva on Takes by the Lake. Joined by a loyal friend of Takes by the Lake, Evan Silva. He's been here before. We're so excited to have him back. Evan, how you doing? Doug, I'm doing great, man. It's, it's good to be back. Um you know, the last time that we really went in depth, I think, with, with podcasts was, you know, right around the, the time that uh, the Browns were changing regimes. I think that most people are probably happy with uh, how the roster is looking heading into uh, this season. And I, I would be, too. I mean, I would be excited if I were a Browns fan. It's not perfect, you know. Right. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, what we're going to talk about. But, um, you know, I, I definitely would be excited. So Evan, I th- you you have uh, established a new venture since we last talked. So before we dig in too much, just just tell the good listeners uh, what you're doing and and where they can find your work right now. Yeah, I worked at Roto World slash NBC for over a decade, and um, and, and like you know, just kind of over the years, like I, I always thought about doing my own thing and you know, getting away from working for like a, a big corporation and being the boss of like, you know, 10 people or, or 10 writers. And so finally got the opportunity to do that with a, a really good friend, Adam Levitan, this off season, Adam Levitan is probably uh, the foremost uh, or maybe one of the, 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 the most ex- uh, respected daily fantasy uh, analysts in the game has an, uh, an unbelievably popular, popular podcast called the DFS edge. Um, and, I've written for years about season-long fantasy as well as daily fantasy. Uh, so if you're into fantasy football in any way, you should come check it out, EstablishTheRun.com. Uh, we covered preseason DFS, like incredibly hard. Uh, now that's sort of coming to the end, and we're going to dive into uh, the season-long stuff. If you got a, a draft coming up, uh, check it out. And then if you, if you get into the regular season daily fantasy, uh, we're going to hit that really, really hard all year long. So, so let's just let me ask you real quick, and I, I tweeted this. I know nobody nobody cares about other people's fantasy teams, but I just had my draft, and 12, 12 team league snake draft. I had the eleventh pick. I got Odell at eleven, and then on the wraparound, I got Chubb at fourteen. Like, what do you think? I mean, I think you crushed it, man. You know, I think you absolutely crushed it. You know, so I think that Nick Chubb is a legitimate candidate to lead the entire NFL in rushing touchdowns. This year, uh, Odell Beckham, I mean, the sky is the absolute limit for this guy because, you know, he really, he's spent five years in the league now. He really has never had quality quarterback play. I know that 
Eli Manning, you know, won two Super Bowls long ago, but he's really been on the downslide for uh, the last half decade to the point where, you know, finally the Giants were able to pull the trigger on drafting a quarterback. They got Daniel Jones uh, with the number six overall pick. And there's a reason that they took Daniel Jones uh, that early was because uh, they, they are starting to finally acknowledge that the end is near for Eli Manning. I, I think it's imminent. You know, I think we're going to see Daniel Jones, if the Giants smarten up, uh, play early in the season. And so going from playing with a, a subpar quarterback to, to be kind and Eli Manning to going to play with an, a rising, you know, a potential superstar in Baker Mayfield, I think that Odell Beckham is going to make Baker Mayfield better. And I think that Baker Mayfield is going to make Odell Beckham better. And uh, yeah, I just actually did a, um, a draft myself drafting uh, just before we, uh, we started podcasting, drafting from the number 10 pick. And I took Odell Beckham at number 10. So uh, let, let's hope we're right. Nice, nice. So just now that we're talking fantasy, if it seems like obviously Mahomes, and I know there's so many quarterbacks, people don't take quarterbacks high, but if Mahomes is maybe in a class by himself, and I don't know, if Deshaun Watson and Aaron Rodgers are maybe that next tier, how high up do you think Baker is? Like, where where do you think he should be going uh, when we're talking about quarterback drafting in fantasy? Yeah, so I have Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes in the elite tier. Deshaun Watson as a rookie, actually scored more fantasy points per game than Patrick Mahomes did last year. So he's got that, you know, Patrick Mahomes uh, scoring ability kind of in his range of potential outcomes. And so I have them in that in that first tier. And then, shoot, I have Baker – well, I had Andrew Luck, uh, unfortunately, okay. at, at number three. So I had to pull him out. And Baker Mayfield moved up to number three. Wow, for me. I three. Mean, I think okay, that, okay. Yeah, yeah, I think he's got a massive ceiling – this year and then to round out that second tier I have Aaron Rodgers at number four and I have um, Russell Wilson at number five so and and I think that Baker Mayfield just with the immense talent upgrades around him I think that David Njoku is going to be better I think that Jarvis Landry is probably not you know your your optimal number one receiver as he was kind of utilized for much of last season I think he's a lot better uh, in that possession number two role and then Odell Beckham can just do everything. Wish that they had uh, Antonio Callaway, you know, all, all set to go. But, um, you know, the, the, that was a risk-reward pick by John Dorsey. But I love what we've seen from Rashard Higgins. And I think that Baker Mayfield and Rashard Higgins have a ton of chemistry. Um, I think that kind of uh, showed itself last year. And it has really, really shown itself in the preseason. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, so I think that, I think that Baker is, is you know, the, the the sky is the limit for him too. It's it's really an exciting offense. I will say when it when it came time to draft a quarterback, like I had a guy picked right ahead of me, and I was like, all right, I'm going to take a quarterback, and I could have taken Baker, and I took Rodgers instead. I couldn't pull the trigger on mm-hmm. Baker Odell Chubb as that trio, like all in with every my whole fantasy team with the Browns, but I probably should have done it because it would have been fun to see what what would have happened. I chickened out. Um, so Evan, I started I started this podcast kind of with, with a rant, and now that you mentioned like the last time we talked with the regime change, it makes me want to ask you about this first before we dig in on this roster. With where the Browns are right now, are, are you surprised that this is where we are, or were you sort of like, no, I think that this is what they started building to, you know, a couple years ago? Oh, I mean, you could go back and listen to our first podcast. I remember the conversations that we had relatively well. 
And absolutely. I mean, I think that we were both optimistic that the, the foundation that was laid, like it was almost dummy proof. I mean, it, there were so many assets. Uh, Warren Sharp did a, a, an article about that there had never been in NFL history uh, the amount of assets that had been compiled by the previous regime. And John Dorsey never would have taken that job if those assets weren't there. Um, and, you know, I think that John Dorsey hasn't been perfect, but I like how aggressive he's been. I think that he's done the exact right thing in terms of, you know, that, that he, that he should have done if he wanted to uh, ignite the fan base, get everybody excited. The Odell Beckham trade was an absolute steal. Um, I think even on down to the, the Duke Johnson trade, um, I think they got yep. pretty good value in that trade. Uh, you know, I, I, we could go through every single move and, you know, criticize putting Carl Nassib for no reason and drafting Austin Corbett at 33 overall and Chad Thomas at what 65 overall and, you know, wasting the, the second round pick on the, in the, on the, in the, uh, the Tyrod Taylor trade, you know, kind of overpaying Jarvis Landry, but all in all, um, I think that, uh, you know, the, the aggressiveness with which John Dorsey has approached using that treasure trove of assets. Um, that, that's why they, you know, the, the Browns have a nine and a half game win total at sports books right now, you know, and it's not like getting bet down, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, look, he's been very, very aggressive and I expect results. And if the, the results aren't there, it's going to be very disappointing. But again, I expect results because the roster looks pretty darn good right now. And the, and the window is open. The window is right now. Um, yep. I'm glad you said that because good. Yeah, we did talk about it. So yeah, I, I just was, uh, sort of ranting about the idea that, that, you know, if anyone's like surprised by this, I feel like you sort of like weren't paying attention to what was happening or you didn't, you just didn't believe it because it was the Browns. But this has been a plan for several years, obviously. I'm at 12 and four. I've been at 12 and four since December for the Browns record. Where, where are you? <laughs> I'm coming in hot, baby. Where, where are you? And do you, it's like, I'm very curious sort of in the range of good, right? I think like everyone thinks the Browns will be good. I'm very curious in like what that means. So do you expect that they will win the division? And, and what do you think their record will be? Yeah. So, you know, the, the nine and a half game win total at sports books, that doesn't sound like terrific, but it's actually a really high win total, uh, within the context of other teams win totals. Um, so that is, I think it's a uh, top eight in the NFL. So it's, you know, and that's top, you know, that, that's in the 75th percentile. That's a very high win total. I like the over on their win total. 12 is obviously aggressive as, as you would, you know, you, you would acknowledge. Um, but I think that, yeah, 10 to 11 wins, I think is the expectation for me. I think they have a manageable schedule this year. The division is interesting. The, the Bengals look like they, they could be real, real bad. Um, the Ravens are a, a crazy wild card because they're doing something that really no one else in the NFL is doing. Um, and, you know, they started to kind of implement it halfway through last season, but it was really hard for them to fully implement it because, right. you know, they had to bench. They went from the, the pass heaviest team in the NFL to the run heaviest team in the NFL over the, uh, the first half of the season into the second half of the season. That's just an incredible change on the fly that they essentially implemented during their bye week, 
you know, and they came out of their bye week with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. Now they had the entire off season to implement their offense. They changed, you know, they, they fully revamped their receiver core. Um, Lamar Jackson wasn't getting first team reps uh, at this time last off season. And now he is, you know, and then the Steelers are interesting too, because, well, I think that, you know, again, with the benefit of hindsight, the, the move to, to move on from Antonio Brown, who has just been caused a circus uh, in Oakland, looks prescient, even though all they got was a third round pick that they use on um, a little uh, small, slow receiver named Deontay Johnson and a fifth round pick on a blocking tight end and Zach, Zen, Zach Gentry. That's all they got for Antonio Brown. Um, you know, that doesn't look very good on paper. But now that we've seen the theatrics that Antonio Brown has put on a Razors camp, it looks like that was a pretty smart move for them. Um, they're they're a really interesting team because I think that Ben is still playing at a really high level. He had his second uh, best QBR uh, last season of his career. And the defense looks uh, pretty darn good as well. So it, it's not an easy division, um, but I do think that the Ravens are kind of boomer bust and uh, the, the Steelers, at the end of the day, they, they still lost a receiver that led the NFL in, re- in receiving touchdowns last season. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. I mean, it's such a tribute to the Steelers as an, or- as an organization and to what Roethlisberger has meant to them that, you know, they're down. They're, they've lost Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown, who you could argue were the best players in the NFL at their positions. And like, they're mm-hmm. still right there. You know, that I think I was very mm-hmm. interested a year ago in the idea of sort of like the Browns on the rise as the rest of the division seemed to be on a decline. Um, but if the Ravens flip that by, as you said, just changing the script from Flacco to Jackson instantaneously, the Bengals look like they are bottoming out. Um, but if, if the culture and the, and the structure of the Steelers is just a, sort of allowing them to win, even though they're losing top guys, um, it's interesting. But again, it's just, you know, there, there is a little bit of a window there that, that you're not talking about Roethlisberger, um, in his prime in your own division, or it's, it's not like Deshaun Watson or, or Patrick Mahomes or Carson Wentz or these guys, they're not in the Browns division. So there, there is a little bit of a, of, of an opening there. I think that it feels like not only are the Browns on the rise, they're sort of on the rise at the right time in the right place. Um, with your knowledge, Evan, with your knowledge of the league in full, the way you study the league for, for your site, when you look at the Browns skill position guys, their top three receivers, the top two running backs, when you include Kareem Hunt, David and Joku, like, again, they're good. Everybody knows they're good. How truly good are they? Like, uh, how many teams in your mind have the type of skill position players that the Browns do? Is it, do they have, are they in the top 10 in the league? Are they in the top five? How would you characterize Odell in this group? I mean, it's absolutely top five. You know, it's, um, Again, I have Baker Mayfield as number three overall fantasy quarterback. That's not necessarily a real life ranking, but it's not it's not that far off, you know. Um, Nick Chubb, I mean, he's fantastic. You know, I think that it'll be interesting to see can they unlock him as a, in the passing game this year because he's going to get a lot of opportunity, more opportunity in the passing game um, without Duke Johnson who still played a a decent number of snaps last year. You know, he didn't get the ball enough, but he played 42% of the Browns' offensive snaps last year. And we saw some kind of flashes from Nick Chubb in the passing game. There was a question about him coming out of Georgia, but we saw some 
I mean, he made some fantastic plays. There was a like a, a receiving touchdown in the corner of the end zone that stands out in my mind. Um, that I mean, you know, I didn't know that he was capable of that. Uh, I don't think that Dontrell Hilliard is necessarily going to jump right into the Duke Johnson role. Uh, I think that Nick Chubb will have opportunities to take a chunk, take on a chunk of that role and be a true every down back. I, I certainly think that he's already one of the best tackle breaking uh, running backs in the NFL. And he's got that long speed, you know, coming out of college, I, I compared him to Jamal Lewis. And I think, and I think that he's a like already potentially a better receiver than Jamal Lewis. And then, you know, we, we talked about the receiver configuration with Odell Beckham. You know, you have a guy that can, I mean, the best slant route runner in NFL history and a guy that obviously can, you know, pop the lid downfield. And then Jarvis Landry and, and Rashard Higgins as rock-solid possession receivers. Hopefully you get Antonio Callaway back to be like a situational field stretcher uh, around week five. And then, you know, you got Kareem Hunt uh, on the back end if Nick Chubb, He's just going to give you fresh legs late in the season. I don't think that that's like some narrative. I think that that's a real thing late in the season. A running back uh, with fresh legs it can be it can be invaluable. Um, and I think that there you know there's a scenario where he comes back and he's giving you you know nine to twelve touches per game and they're really really efficient touches. Uh, and then David and Joku, you know, people talk about his blocking. How about we just don't use him as a blocker? You know, let, let's use him as a receiver. Let's use him in the slot. You know, let's get him in motion. And, you know, he and I mean, he can, you know, chip block before he goes into his route. But I don't think that he should be expected to be a blocker because that's not really his game. He has dropped too many passes, but he also rewards you with big plays, you know, and, and even the drop passes. I mean, there's only like nine last year and he saw what, you know, 85 targets. So, I mean, he needs to cut down on the drops. There's no question but he also gives you tremendous run after catch ability and an ability to stretch the scene vertically. And I mean, he's absolutely one of the most gifted tight ends in the NFL and uh, hopefully he will continue to get better and better. I expect that he will. I'm really conflicted on Njoku because I can't tell if, you know, the addition of, of Beckham and the emergence of the other weapons increases his productivity because defenses will be set paying so much attention to Odell Beckham. David and Joku will have more opportunities to run free or like if, if, if Odell's just going to take his catches, you know, and, and, and the idea of, I know Warren Sharp was just tweeting about this and people have noticed how often Freddie had him in 12 personnel last year. Uh, and they protected Baker so well in the second half of the year. Um, but with the way the tackles have looked in the preseason, it looks certainly like you might need to help those guys out at times. And so, so I just don't know how much I agree. I mean, and Joku is not a blocker. He's a receiver, but I also don't know how much you feel like you might have to keep the tight ends in to help a little bit because you're not so sure Greg Robinson and Chris Hubbard can keep Baker clean. So I, I'm very curious, and Joku is one of the guys I'm most curious about, just because I think we got a good look in the second half of last year what this Freddie offense is going to look like. But when you add Odell into that mix, I'm just very curious to see how how he changes the realities for everybody else. Obviously, the offense overall will be better but I'm just very fascinated in how Freddie decides to use the pieces here. And that's one of the risks that you run with the decisions that they've made on the offensive line, because, you know, there's, there's definitely been some give there. They're, they're taking some risks on the offensive line. Um, 
they moved Kevin Zeitler for Olivier Vernon. Very good player, Olivier Vernon. You know, when he's healthy, I mean, he, what, a, what a great bookend to Miles Garrett. But you're taking a big risk. I mean, Kevin Zeitler has been a top 10 guard in the NFL for like six or seven years running. He was very, very durable. Um, and that was a, a risky move. And I guess they anticipated Austin Corbett grabbing that job. He's now like the second team center and struggling at center. And they're going with Eric Cush, who's bounced around the NFL. And there's a reason that he's bounced around the NFL, because a journeyman is not very good. And then the tackles, I mean, it's a bottom three tackle situation in the NFL with Greg Robinson. Bottom three. um, Really? Bottom three? Yeah. Oh, no no question. I'm not disputing uh, it. I'm just like, that is some context here, people. That is some context. Yeah, um, Brandon Thorne, who's maybe one of the best offensive line analysts uh, in the NFL, he does our – in NFL media, he does our uh, our offensive line rankings. And he has the Browns – He like if you go look at his his Twitter feed, I mean, he's just an absolute animal. He watches like the end zone view, and um, that's how you uh, evaluate offensive line play, uh, the end zone view on NFL Game Pass. And he does like he doesn't even look at the skill position players, you know. He he just looks at the battles in the trenches, and um, he has the Browns as the twenty set number twenty seven offensive line in the league, which is a bottom six unit. Wow. Um, they they're down to two quality starters in uh, J C Treader and um, and Joel Batonio, and yeah, I mean Chris Hubbard, you know, he was a good like six line number six offensive lineman who could. Uh, fill in as a spot starter in Pittsburgh where they had uh, the best offensive line coach in the league and Mike Munchak. And he comes to the Browns and, you know, he, he wasn't great last year. And, um, you know, there's going to be, they, they were able to, to kind of cover up some of their shortcomings at tackle last year by using more 12 personnel, as you mentioned, also by just uh, lowering the, the time in uh, Baker Mayfield's dropbacks. He just, he was getting the ball out so much quicker and look there are things that you can do to work around a a suspect offensive line and those are some of the things that you can do and I'm sure that they're going to do them um but that you know and I think it's no it's no secret you know I'm sure that this is discussed all the time on Cleveland radio and you know I know you guys are writing about it you know the offensive line is the potential Achilles heel because if it becomes if it comes to be such a problem that you're, you're all of a sudden asking David and Joku to block a bunch, then all of a sudden you're not playing to your player's strengths and, and right. you're you know, sacrificing a guy who should be out running routes and you're asking him to do something that he's not good at. And uh, apparently, and I, I haven't keyed in on, on Demetrius Harris, but I, but I have read, you know, I read like everything. Um, and I've read that Demetrius Harris has not looked very good in the preseason so far, he's supposed to be that guy, right. you know, that, 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 that sixth offensive lineman. And I've read that he hasn't been very good. So that, that's, an, that would be disappointing if you can't use Demetrius Harris in a role that, that you signed him to play. And, and again, I, every time I talk about the Browns, I encourage everyone to like, forget about the old Browns that has nothing to do with this roster, but it, it is crazy to think that they had like, Joe Thomas and Alex Mack and Mitchell Schwartz, and they could never get a quarterback. 
And now yeah. they have a quarterback and it's like, oh, my God, you would kill for Joe. Tom- like it, like pull Joe Thomas off the NFL network and be like, dude, I know you lost 60 pounds or whatever it is. Just come back anyway, because um, mm-hmm. it is it is one of those things. And, and it's, you know, it's like, wow, the Browns got they were so lucky slash so smart that they were the team that grabbed the guy who was the former number two overall pick in the draft, who was a bust and had bounced around and had had was, you know, had washed out. But the Browns resurrected his career. It's a miracle. And it's like, oh, yeah, maybe not. Like maybe he's mm-hmm. he's just OK. And I wrote a thing the other, you know, about a week or 10 days ago. Like if the Browns offensive line is just average, like, is that enough? And I think I came to the conclusion, like if they're average, yes, if they're just average, that's enough for them to win. But yep. the idea of them being like one of the worst six offensive lines in the league. Now we're dealing with something else entirely. Now we're dealing with the idea. And you saw it a little bit in the preseason game the other night. You know, Cush gave up a couple uh uh, pass rushes where they, he just got blown away and Robinson had a couple. He had a holding penalty. You know, they got Nassib beat Hubbard. The the one thing and you when you listed off like sort of John Dorsey's mistakes and nobody's perfect and no one is asking John Dorsey to be perfect. But I have thought about the idea of, man, Nassib was a third round pick and you just dumped him for nothing. And yep. maybe he could have been the guy opposite Miles Garrett. And you had. Austin Corbett as a second round pick and he's washed out and you had Emmanuel Ogba who was a second round pick who turned into Eric Murray, which is something, but you were always waiting for Ogba as a second round pick to develop into that pass rushing end opposite Garrett. And it's like, man, that's two second rounders and a third rounder that all ended up not hitting that you got basically nothing for. And and the result is because you don't have Nassib or Ogba, you end up trading for Vernon and then you lose Zeitler and now Corbett, the guy who's supposed to fill in for Zeitler, isn't there. So you have a hole and it's just an example to me of you have to get so much right to have your mm-hmm. team be good. And John Dorsey has gotten so much right. But that little combination of offensive line and lack of a second defensive end has created this situation where they got Vernon, good, but man, you can really see the holes on this offensive line. And I guess my question, Evan, is is the way you view football and the way you've studied this league, I mean, can you win if your offensive line is is bad? You know, like, again, maybe if it's average, but like if it's bad, how much trouble are they in? Yeah, you can you can win with a, with a bad offensive line, you, you know, um, you, you, the quarterback needs to get the ball, get rid of the football quickly. Baker Mayfield, I think, has like the the athletic traits to be able to um, make his offensive line look better. Um, he can like his ability to just like spin out of potential sacks, and uh, he's so athletic and has great vision in the pocket. You know, this is why the the Drew Brees comparisons were real um, because because of his vision, and it, you know, it doesn't matter that he's only six foot. You know, obviously. Uh, so I, I, you can't. I remember the that that final Giants Super Bowl team had a bad offensive line, uh, and I think it was 2011. It, it was not a good offensive line, but um, they had a great, great defense. And the Browns have a chance to have a very, very good defense, especially up front. Um, and they had 
you know, everything kind of clicking with, with the, with the skill position players. I mean, they had a very good uh, assembly of skill position players and the, the Browns do, the Browns do too. That was a long time ago now. And the league gets more and more athletic. I mean, that was almost a decade ago at this point. It was eight years ago. And the league gets more athletic every single year. Um, so I think it's probably harder to do it right now. I, you know, what, what are the chances, Doug, that we can get the Browns to trade for Trent Williams? I mean, you know, that, then we would be talking because then you'd at least have three quality starting offensive linemen. Maybe you could move Greg Robinson uh, to a guard position. Um, or, yeah. you know, just whatever, it's just, it would, it would upgrade so, so much. And you, and then, you know, you don't have to have David and Joku doing something he's not good at and, and chip blocking and helping for one of the tackles. So, so I, I wrote about this a little bit the, in my Sunday column, I'm curious what you would do, Evan, because Laramie Tunsil is another guy that, that some, you know, in some circles has been reported as a tackle who might be available. I, I feel again, to repeat, John Dorsey has done a very good job. It feels like John Dorsey has been in control of most of the trades that he has made. I'm a little nervous about the idea of, of Dorsey dealing from a place of desperation in the week before the season starts and what the Redskins might make him give up to get Trent Williams. And, and I know they're in the window to go for it, but part of that is the idea that we know they're going to lose some good players after this season because they can't pay everybody and they're going to have to replenish through the draft. And like trading a first round pick for Odell Beckham was a thousand times worth it. You'd do it every time, but they need Sione Takitaki and, and greedy Williams and Mac Wilson and, and, and Sheldrick Redwine to fill in down the line. And they're going to need their next couple draft classes to fill in and replace some of these high price guys they're going to lose. I, a Trent Williams trade makes me nervous because what do you think it would take? Would it, I, I thought I'd read that some people were saying it might take two first round picks. What do you mm-hmm. think it would take and how, how much would you give up if you were the Browns for Trent Williams? Man, you know, I, I because you have this window, and you have your quarterback on a rookie deal and you, and that allows you to spend elsewhere. I, I really, I would be aggressive and I like, I would be willing to offer the Browns first round pick next year. Two first rounders. No. Uh, see, you're, you're dealing with the Redskins who are just one of the worst run sports organizations, you know, in, in all of sports. Yeah. And they're like, and they're petty and, you know, like, Trent Williams, they you know they feel they probably feel like he's abandoned them. He said he's not ever going to play for them again, and I actually totally believe him. You know, sometimes when guys are holding out or whatever, or you know, taking a public stance, it's it's just that it's just that you know, um, just a public stance, and then they kind of cave because they don't want to lose their money. With Trent Williams, like I believe him. You you look at what has gone on with that team from a medical standpoint and how. Uh, it's just, it's crazy. Like Alex Smith has required, you know, multiple surgeries, uh, that, you know, due to like, uh, uh, setbacks and Darius Geis after he tore his ACL encountered, uh, multiple in- infections during his re- uh, rehab. And he underwent three additional surgeries on his ACL. Uh, you, you read about the Siwak Cravens, uh, thing and the, the Redskins like, um, I don't know. It's just uh, Colt McCoy needed multiple surgeries on his broken tibia. And Trent Williams is like, enough is enough. You know, I'm not going to risk my life for this team anymore. We're not, we know we're not going anywhere. 
in the short term, and I'm not going to play for them. He's made, you know, a good, good sum of money so far. And, uh, you know, but, but the Redskins like could just, they're, they're so like petty that they could just let him sit out the entire season and be super stubborn about it unless they get whatever asking price that, that, that they're, they're wanting for. But I, I would be willing to offer the Browns first round pick because again, you have this window, you have this awesome quarterback on a rookie deal. You have all these critical pieces already in place and you have this one glaring hole on your roster and you have a chance to address it, I, I say you go do it. And we could we could talk all night, but I know you have a life to live. Uh, I really don't. So I, I might just sit here and talk to myself all night. Why, why do I like <laughs> why do I like talking about the Browns with you so much? Where, where is your bra- how did you come to, to have good opinions on the Browns? Because you know the whole league. But but where why are you so Browns educated? Oh, because it, it was certainly because of the, the Sashi Brown stuff. I mean, you know, I, I just like I did that off season. I did that, that, you know, that we connected. I did like 12 podcasts about the Browns. And so I got really, really super. And I'm, in, I'm really super into every team, but especially the Browns. I mean, first of all, the Browns are just freaking interesting, man. Oh. I mean, they're so interesting, you know, because they, they were so bad. And then they tried something new. And then the new thing was like starting to kind of, kind of work, but they had this, the, the worst coach in NFL history. And, you know, they, and then they, they, um, they pulled the plug on the plan a little bit too early. And, you know, it was right after the AJ McCarron thing, which was just, I, you know, the huge action was trying to trade a second round pick and a third round pick for OJ, for AJ McCarron. And, um, and then, you know, they, they go out and, and hire uh, a GM who, um, you know, who comes out and calls the roster full of, you know, not real players. And, you know, you've got the Jimmy Haslam stuff. I mean, <laughs> they're a really, really interesting or they're probably the most, they've been probably the most interesting organization in the NFL over the past probably three years. And, you know, now they have a chance to, um, to really like, you know, turn everything around. So I, I would say that that's probably why, why I focus in on them so much is just because they're so freaking interesting. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, you're right. That's exactly yeah. it. That's why. Yeah. Cause there's just, there was just sort of a, sort of, 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 a, of a line of thinking that some people were in on and some people for, were not in on. Uh, and so I feel like those of us that were in on the Browns line of thinking back then sort of found each other. We, we formed a little uh, mm-hmm. club. And, and in the end, Evan, we were, we were freaking right, man. We nailed it. Yes, anyway, we were. Just, um, well, Evan, we, one, they, they, got, they still got to win this year. No, no, I know, I know. I know. I know, but uh, but I I would relate it to especially kind of learning how like people win daily fantasy tournaments. So the 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 people that finish up top, they tend to have like they they played the players that uh, a lot of other people didn't play. You know what they did is they were contrarian and they did something different, and that is what propelled them to the top. They thought outside the box, and that's what the Browns did. You know I, I understand the daily fantasy is. But it's, it's just like you are competing for a spot among 32 teams. It's hard to finish first out of 32 in anything, right? But the person that's going to finish first out of 32, and the Patriots have been doing this for years. I mean, they do so many things 
that are different from the rest of the league. And then, you know, their, their coaches and their front office guys get hired elsewhere and they try to copy it and it never works. You know, copying does not work. Okay. Doing something different from the rest of the league, that's what can propel you. And that's what the Browns did. And, um, and now even though the regime is different, um, you know, we're, we're, I hopefully, and I anticipate that we're going to see the Browns propel because of it. He's Evan Silva. You can follow him on Twitter at Evan, E-V-A-N, Silva, S-I-L-V-A. That's E-V-A-N-S-I-L-V-A. Read him at EstablishTheRun.com. You can also follow him at EstablishTheRun. Evan, love your work. Love talking to you. Um, best of luck with the site. Enjoy the season, and we'll, and we'll have you back soon. Thanks so much, Doug. Appreciate it. Thanks to Evan Silva for that, man. I, I love talking to that guy. Uh, another great interview coming up now. It's Rob Harvilla from The Ringer. You can follow him on Twitter at Harvilla, H-A-R-V-I-L-L-A, where his avatar on Twitter is Yosemite Sam. And he uh, describes himself as staff writer at The Ringer, gawky Ohioan, uncompensated Dairy Queen spokesman. Um, read his work at The Ringer. Again, he, he wrote a piece that was part of the Ringers' uh, 11, 10 or 11 story project on the Browns. It's Rob Harvilla on Takes by the Lake. Joined here on Takes by the Lake by a first time guest who is, I'm sure, going to, I'm so excited to talk to him. It's going to be super interesting. It's Rob Harvilla who writes for the Ringer and writes about like a lot of non sports stuff, but he wrote about the <laughs> Browns because the Ringer last week discovered the Browns, Rob. I cannot believe how hard the <laughs> ringer dove in on Cleveland football. What did you think of the entire package as the ringer devoted itself to like nine or 10 football stories about the Cleveland Browns? Well, first of all, in the ringer's defense, it launched, I think in May of 2016. And within the first few months, they did a Cleveland week, like a whole week of just all Cleveland. And it was, there were tech stories and culture stories and crime stories, stuff like that. I think I wrote about how much I hate the Jim Tomey statue uh, outside <laughs> Cleveland. Uh, the, you know, but it, we have covered Cleveland before. But, yes, that was a startling and unnatural amount of real estate to devote to the Cleveland Browns specifically. But, you know, this is our year. So it's just, we're, we're getting in on the ground floor of this one. Uh, Rob, you and I were just both talking about how you live in the Columbus area. We know the Ringer is based in L.A. Is this just how much sway you have at the Ringer <laughs> that they're this interested? This is in? absolutely a reflection of my power. Yeah, this yeah. is all me. Very cool. Just for people to um, just get familiarized their, themselves with you a little bit. What are what are the other things you typically write about for the Ringer? Well, the Ringer is sort of half sports and half cultural, and I am emphatically on the culture side. I have mostly a music writing background uh, all weeklies and stuff but i write mostly about music but movies tv uh books comedy like but and pretty they only bring me in for sports stuff when something cleveland sports related happens like i think i wrote something when the Cavs won i think i wrote something when the Cavs lost the following year you know a handful of indians things a handful of browns things over the years when something notably terrible usually uh happens <laughs> and so it's it's sort of split 50-50 between sports and culture, and I'm a culture guy pretty okay. much all the way. But but as you wrote in your piece, and again, this was part of a, of a series um, yeah. that the Ringer did on the Browns, and your headline is, a Browns fan comes to grips with the Browns being cool. Um, yeah. 
when when people are now writing about Cleveland sports, and I write about Cleveland sports all the time, and, and we at Cleveland.com cover Cleveland sports all the time, I think Cleveland is the last couple of years has been a fantastic place for a sports fan because the Cavs went to four straight finals. The Indians are now a consistent winner and a World Series contender. And the Browns yeah. went through what I thought was a very interesting rebuild. At least they weren't stuck in that terrible middle. And now they're right. this team that everybody is infatuated with. I think this is this is a tremendous time to be a Cleveland sports fan. What do you think of that? No, that's absolutely true. The Cleveland you can't accuse the Cleveland Browns of being in the middle ever. You know, they have been just abjectly terrible for the vast majority of my adult life. You know, and it's theoretically all starting to pay off now, but it's just it's never been boring. It's almost never been good. It's almost never been enjoyable, but it's it's never <laughs> been boring you know i did a piece a couple of years ago on mary j cabot who uh oh you wrote the you wrote that piece okay yes i did and and i wanted to talk to her just you know and she's i i'm paraphrasing but she said something like this team is much more interesting to cover than the patriots you know with the patriots it's like you know ho-hum another super bowl you know another super bowl win like the, the Browns are, are terrible in like a, a, an interesting way, in a different way, like almost year to year to year. It's just it's, it's a much more enriching experience, even at its worst. And I have over the years after 15, this is my 15th season of covering Ohio State football, have tried to yeah. explain that to people because in their own way, <laughs> the, the Buckeyes can be boring in how good they are. Right. And the idea. Yeah. That, like, well, they're always going to win at least 10 games. There's probably right. seven or eight games on their schedule every year that, like, you know they're going to win, you know, six right. months before the game happens. And so I do get the idea that, like, good and interesting are not the same thing and bad no. and uninteresting are not the same thing. Um when you looked at it, and again, I would encourage anybody to go read the entire series that the Ringer did on the Browns. Um, Rob, yeah. when you when you looked at that whole series, and we'll get to your piece in a second, but like, did you did you buy it? Did you read all of it? And did it make <laughs> you think like, oh my gosh, what a beautiful plan! They're geniuses. There's a Paul D. Podesta story. There's Baker Mayfield right. stuff. The tanking, like. Were you like, yes, we are encapsulating the genius that has now brought the Browns to this place where they can take over the NFL? Or did you read it and think, oh, my God, this is this is going to go south somehow? It's probably more of the latter. I mean, that's the Browns way, right? It's like, how are they going to screw this up? Like, how is this going to go wrong? And I think just in, in an emotionally neutral place when I when there's a new season is starting in any sport and there's one team that everybody's talking about is like these guys are going to take the leap like this is the hot trendy pick for the year to like contend for a championship like that's always that's always bs like in some way right like it, it the, the hype always turns out to be way louder than the reality of it and just to have the browns in that spot for the NFL season this year, like uh, fundamentally I'm skeptical of everybody agreeing on, on one team as the breakout team in any sport in any year, but to have it be the Browns and to like know the way the Browns operate, you know, and, and to have watched the Browns screw up so much in so many, you know, dazzling ways over the course of the last two decades. Like, no, I mean, there's, there is a fundamental skepticism and what I feel you know as a Browns fan this year it distinct from almost any other year I can remember is like fear 
of, of not meeting the public's expectations, right? Like for the last five, 10 years, it's just been the Browns are awful. You know, the Browns are going to be awful. It's going to be a miracle if the Browns win three games. And, and very often they did not even win three games. Like to have expectations, to have like, you know, primetime TV games, to have people even looking in our direction, let alone devoting, you know, a week of a sports website's content to our team. Like that's a very, very terrifying position to be in and as you say like the deep pedestrian piece like the way that now they're retrofitting it's like it was actually genius you know that we sucked so royally for so long because it was actually an ingenious strategy of like amassing draft picks and trading down and all this stuff like there's a lot of retrofitting our failures as like actually brilliant successes that just we were the only people who realized at the time they were successes like I don't really trust that narrative necessarily either that like we're the process in the NFL, except it worked, you know, and now we're going to the Super Bowl. Like it's a terror. It's, it's thrilling. You know, I can't remember ever being excited for a, a Cleveland sports season the way I'm excited for this season. But part of that excitement, the bulk of that excitement is just sheer terror <laughs> at how they're going to screw it up. Rob! Rob, you are blowing a hole in your website's own series that I completely buy, by the way. I wrote in 2000. <laughs> I feel like, and I'll be honest here, Rob, and this is why I wanted to have someone from The Ringer on. Yeah. I feel like everything that The Ringer wrote last week, and I loved it all, it's like, I've been writing that for three years. I wrote about okay. Sam Sam Hinkie and Sashi Brown in 2016. I've believed right. that they needed to tank and rebuild and that this was all going to work. I am so far in, and I have been so far in from the get-go. <laughs> Rob, I am here to reassure you this was genius, and it is okay. going It is going to work, my friend. I promise you. Well, that's fantastic news. You know, I, <laughs> it goes without saying that anyone at the Ringer who's primarily sports and most of the people at the ringer who aren't primarily sports, like know more about this stuff than I do. I would defer to their wisdom and certainly yours 15 years experience. <laughs> so if you say, if that's how you say it's going to be, then that's how it's going to be. And that changes my whole outlook. This has, well, been, this has been a wonderful conversation. And that's why I brought you on Rob, not for you, but I, I, I'm, yeah, you're not here <laughs> just to talk to us. I'm here for you, Rob. Um, Fantastic. When you, as someone, again, I, and I like talking to guys like you because I like talking to journalists who also can relate to the fans, right? Because you are a professional right. journalist, but you are seeing the Browns here through the lens of what everybody listening to this podcast, the lens they see the Browns through. Right. When you when you look at just like if you if you would be able to and again, we'll get to your piece and, and I know you're not able to. But if you were able to divest yourself from the past, when you look just like at <laughs> Baker Mayfield, Odell Beckham, Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, and you just think about like roster talent, does that right. feel right? Does that feel right to you? Do you feel like, yeah, we have a lot of good players or do you feel like, no, I still think there are holes here, or holes there? Well, no, on, on, a, on paper, it's beautiful. It's brilliant, you know, and it, it, it's perfect. And if it were any other team in the league, maybe not the Lions, but if there were any other team in the league, it'd be like, that team is going places. Like, it's the, the joke of it is, like, as a the fundamental to Browns fandom is not being able to divest yourself of the past, you know? Like, the past is all you have as a Browns fan because the future is, is bleak and the present is just hilarious. Like, it's 
it's a very strange position to be in to have, you know, people talking about you positively at all. And so I, yeah, I, on paper, the roster is awesome. You know, there are holes here and there. And like the, I like the parts of, of the ringer package that sort of talked about that and like the offensive line and like the depth we have, you know, farther down the roster versus the Patriots, you know, versus whoever, like I, that all makes sense to me. But yeah, if, if this were, if I had no emotional connection to this team and it was just a list of names and a list of stats and just what everybody's been writing on my site and on every other site, you know, for months, like, Oh yeah. I mean, I'd be totally on board, you know, as a betting man, if I were like, yeah, I'd bet on him, but I'm not going to because it's the Browns. And like, I know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You're, yeah. You're already betting with your heart. So <laughs> exactly. you're not some money on it. Um, right. Rob. And the thing that I, I have tried to ask uh, almost every Browns fan that I've talked to uh, over the last several yeah. months, this question of. So in, in describing the feeling that you feel now, this optimism with an underlying sense of, as you wrote in your story, <laughs> it is almost certainly a trap. Um, right. That that idea. Right. Have you mm-hmm. felt have you felt this way to this level before with the amount of hope that is layered on tra- on top of the feeling of that it's a trap or is this different is this more hope for the Browns than you've felt it in decades Oh definitely the most I felt in decades if ever I mean this is this is the most hyped Browns season since they came back, right? Like you would know more than I do, but like even, yeah, yeah, there's no way that they've ever had more hype. They've had more, I mean, statistically, this is the most primetime games they've had. Like that's an imperfect stat, but like in, in terms of magazine covers or just coverage in general, in terms of the attention, the league's paying them like, yeah, this is it. As far as the Browns and like the history of the franchise, like the only thing I'd have it to compare it to is like, there were years when the Indians were touted to win the world series Right. You know, I, I'm trying to remember exactly when that was. And like, I, I, I think there were at least a few years when they didn't even get close. You know, I, I think the Indians are a little, they're a little more volatile in terms of how good they could be versus how good people said they would be. Yeah. But, but I mean, yeah, this is everything about this Brown season is absolutely foreign to the Browns experience up to this point. There's absolutely nothing to compare it to. I know, like the the Joe Carter, Corey Snyder, Sports Illustrated cover of this is the year right. the Indians okay. going to win the World right. Series, and then they had a terrible yeah. year. That is something that scarred a lot of you know a certain generation of Browns <laughs> fans. It's like, do not predict us to be great because we might flop. I think is buried is buried in some people. Um, Robert, as you understand it. I, I mean, I guess you don't have the context necessarily because you're not a fan of of 31 other NFL teams. You're a Browns fan. But would would you imagine this is sort of how like all football fans are, that sometimes you're worried that your team is getting too much hype? Or do you think this is uh, particular in some way to the Browns fan base because, you know, the franchise left for a while and then in the two decades since they've been back, they couldn't find a quarterback? Like, do you feel – this is somehow a unique sense of dread underneath the hope that applies to the Browns. I think it's definitely unique in some ways. And I've grappled with like how unique and how far to take it. Cause I think I wrote in my piece, like you don't want to be like Boston was, you know, before Boston started winning everything. Like there was this fatalism and, and from the outside, when I was, you know, when I was reading Boston fan accounts of their misery, 
back then, I'd be like, it seemed a little put upon. It seemed to be really enjoying how miserable they were and they had taken it on as part of their identity. And it was just, it was a lot of protesting too much and just sort of reveling in their sadness in this really unbecoming way. And I, I, I think Cleveland as a whole, you know, like whenever, you know, growing up, whenever Cleveland was screwing up, any Cleveland team was screwing up, like on TV, they would play that graphic. They had that package ready to go of like all the terrible that have happened in Cleveland sports. And there comes, you know, Jordan over Elo. There comes, you know, all the Browns losses against the, the Broncos. You know, there comes LeBron leaving. Like, there's a whole package you can put together of very specific, visceral Cleveland misery moments, you know. And to have that finally broken by the Cavs in 2016 was just this wonderful thing. And it's you, you wanted to think that sort of Cleveland had turned that corner and we couldn't say that we hadn't won a championship in X decades, you know. Like, now we were just like every other city, you know, or we stink sometimes or we're good sometimes and very occasionally, hopefully we win a championship. And it's just, it's not part of our identity anymore, how much we suck. But, you know, the Browns continued to suck all through that period. And I do think the Browns, you know, sort of stand alone at this point. Like, you know, no other team has gone like whatever, one in 37 or whatever it was over those two years. Like we're, right. we are pretty singular in, in some ways and it is pretty specific to us. And it is, yeah, it is a very uncomfortable feeling to have so many people paying attention to us just because, you know, I, I know how bad it's been in the past, you know, pretty much all my life. So, Rob, what, like, I don't know how things work at the ringer, but was this like a, like on the budget line for like months ahead of like, hey, yeah, like late August, our whole week of Browns coverage. And were you like, oh, my God, what are we doing? We're like jinxing the Browns somehow. <laughs> or what did you think when you found out that like this package was coming down the, the, the pipe? I have to tell you that I it is very possible I found out about this package when it started running. You know, they had talked to me about writing something as a Browns fan as the season approaches. And so I'd been thinking about it for a few weeks, but I did not know that it was part of a larger whole. And I'm like, I mentioned Cleveland week. I don't think I knew about Cleveland week until it started happening either. Like the ringer is primarily based in LA, you know, with a few people in New York and I'm, I'm here in Ohio and I've, I've been out to LA once in three and a half years. Like I am very disconnected from sort of the editorial brain trust. And so I had no idea that this was coming and was, I, yeah, I mean, it certainly occurred to me when I saw it and when I grasped, you know, the, the entirety of it, like you guys are jinxing us, you know, like there's, there's that little sort of cringe of like, Oh no, but like, I, it's exciting too, you know, like I, I hear reveling in it before the season starts and before things start going wrong, like super theatrically, like it is, it is an awesome feeling you know, to have any shred of optimism, you know, even if it's dread, you know, tinged with optimism as opposed to optimism tinged with dread, you know, right. for there to be any quantity of optimism whatsoever, 5%, you know, is more than I've had, again, in my pretty much my entire life. And so I'm, I'm just going to enjoy it while it lasts. Well, Rob, I thought it was a, a really fun series that The Ringer put together. Uh, I really enjoyed your piece. Again, I would encourage everyone to go read A Browns Fan Comes to Grips with the Browns Being Cool. And, and just to be clear, like, if every if the Browns are good, and that's the thing, like, if they're good, they might be good for a while, maybe. Like, if, yeah. Baker's, if Baker's the real deal, they have to manage the cap and all that stuff. But, like... Are you are you cool with the Browns bandwagon or is it like, no, if you didn't suffer with the rest of us, we don't want you now? 
I have to say that even among my family, I think about my parents, I think about my brother, like my brother watches the Cavs now, you know, like I, almost everybody in my family, a lot of my friends are more devoted to Cleveland sports than I am. Like, I think that I'm devoted, like I follow them, I root for them, but I, I haven't suffered, you know, 10% as much as say my dad has suffered or my little brother has suffered. And so I think far be it for me, I can't be the keeper of that bandwagon. And if my, if my brother is willing to let me be on the bandwagon, then I, I think it's only fair that I pay it forward and let anybody else who wants to be on it. Like you're all welcome. You know, the more the merrier, man. Rob Harvilla from The Ringer, um, thank you so much for taking time out of the day to talk about this and uh, enjoy the season. I've been saying 12 and 4 since December, Rob, so I think I, you can again, sit back and enjoy, baby. I trust you absolutely, and thanks for having me. It's an honor. Thanks. And that's it. Thanks to Evan. Thanks to Rob. Thanks to you guys for listening. Drop an iTunes review. We could use some more reviews. Uh, takes by the Lake iTunes reviews. That would be great. Um, next week, we'll do like our season preview uh for the nfl season and the browns uh we'll dig in with uh more of your favorites some uh, hopefully some returning guests here on takes by the lake but for now i'm douglay maurice of cleveland.com and we'll talk to you next time